Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 265, the early August 1990 uh, issue, on sale June 5th of 1990. It's 32 pages. Cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Storm. Just simply Storm. Yeah, uh, the cover features scrolls. Scrolls? I don't know. Okay. No, they're, they're not scrolls. They don't, they don't look anything like scrolls. They're green and have purple outfits. That's a scroll, if you ask me. <laughs> they don't have the right heads, but it's a storm at the well. They're shapeshifters, so they could be mm-hmm. whatever they want. See? Um, it says storm at the mercy of the hounds. So my initial thought was like, oh, are these like hellhounds? Oh uh, no. yeah, they're not. Definitely not. Storm's got a big stick. Yes, she does. Not sure why. I don't think this comes in. Well, I guess it does kind of come into play in the issue. Why is Havoc in the Havoc box? Why not? We haven't seen Havoc in a while. Yeah, we don't see him in this issue. <laughs> we, we do not. So maybe they're like, get ready, everybody. Havoc's coming soon. Or maybe Havoc has something to do with the first couple of pages of this issue that don't seem to go anywhere. Oh, yeah. Let's, I guess, uh, cover's meh. I don't care about it. Doesn't do anything for me. It's an me. Andy Kubert cover. I like Andy Kubert. Don't care about this cover. It's not the greatest. I feel like maybe Andy's developing his style or he was inked by not a normal Andy Kubert inker. This cover is not helped by the colors. It's got very flat covers, uh, colors that don't do anything to make the image pop. So this is written by Chris Claremont. Bill Jaska is doing the art with Joe Rubenstein, uh, presumably inking. Joe Rosen's lettering, Mike Rock. Wits is the colorist. Explains a lot of things, Adam. <laughs> Good old Mike Rockwitz. Bob Harris is Flotsam. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. Why isn't Tom DeFalco Jetsam? I don't know. Somebody dropped the ball here. Ugh. All right. If you're going to have a Flotsam, got to have a Jetsam. Um, yeah, when I was reading these opening few pages, I was like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> There's a reason you don't remember this at all. I don't know that this, I mean, okay, so, so spoilers, the Shadow King is in this issue, and I have to imagine if you're doing an opening scene like this, it has to connect to something, because this, this issue's kind of starting a whole new storyline, sort of. It's following up on stuff that has already started, but it feels like the beginning of something. Not these first few pages. But these first few pages feel like something completely different. Right. So when you're doing that, at which feels like it's at the beginning of, like, a story arc, you assume by the rules of movie making that this scene has to do with what comes after it. Right. So I was assuming that somehow this is going to relate back to the shadow King. I don't know if it ever does. And I imagine by the time we figure this out, we may never find out. (laughs) We may not remember. Chris Claremont doesn't have a whole lot of uh, issues left. And maybe he just never got around to resolving this. How many issues until X-Men number one? I feel like we've got a little ways to go. We've got some time. Um, I think it was uh, two, 281 was his, yeah. 280 was his last issue or something like that. Yeah, 280, 281. One of those is the cutoff to X-Men number one. So We're yeah, 15, 16 issues left. So I don't know. Even that's this opening thing is setting up a story that seems like if it's going to take place 15 issues from now. Seems a little early, but I guess going back to that old brood issue with Lorna and Havoc prior to Fall of the Mutants, 
that was an early setup for a late payoff. And that That's was true. neat. But it was also neat because we know knew who and what the brood were. This is a dragon called Pitinder. Yeah, it's P exclamation mark Inder. So it's like P Inder. Ah, Pinder. And Pinder. it's in space. Um, so you, I'm almost reading all of these little narration boxes being like, oh, is this like a, a prologue to Professor Xavier? Um, and, and maybe it is, but maybe I don't it think it is. something to do with the Shi'ar Imperium. Um, and he does refer to the... Uh, okay, so so there's, there's a giant dragon in space. Um, Chris Claremont talks a lot about how these are amazing fighters. The Shi'ar approach them because they need them as their soldiers or something to that effect. And so they say, no, but we'll challenge you to a duel. And they immediately lose... And the uh, dragon who loses says, um, I was helpless against him. I never even saw him. It was only a man. He cracked my size shields as though they were the brittlest of eggshells. So I'm thinking the Shadow King, maybe. Uh, I'm thinking Professor Xavier, but maybe. I don't know. I never imagined such power existed against it. We are nothing with it at her command, the Mad Shear Empress. So maybe you're right. Maybe Professor X is... Uh, a prisoner of the Mad Shi'ar Empress, which is what's Lelandra's uh, uh, sister, right? Yeah, D- Deathbird. Deathbird. I think so. Uh, Reigns supreme. So, so yeah, maybe Professor X is the weapon, and so this somehow will tie into Shadow King versus Professor X. Maybe it'll be like a reversal where the Shadow King turns out to be the good guy and has to take down Professor X, being the bad guy. And um, I can speculate all I want because I have <laughs> no idea what happens or if this ever comes up again. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Pinder does, but maybe this is setting up the professor's return to Earth. Uh, I guess that's kind of a spoiler, but I, it's it's the best we got. <laughs> I don't remember though, and I I don't really remember the conditions upon which the professor came back to Earth. Spoilers: He comes back to Earth. Yeah, I, I don't remember a lot of this period. Like, starting with the Forge issues, I don't even remember this issue, but I know I've read it. I didn't really remember much of this either. Uh, and it makes me wonder if I actually... No, I'm pretty sure I owned this issue, but I don't know. It's not very memorable. Um, but anyways, after we leave Pinder, and he says that, you know, the whole Reign Supreme and Mad Empress and all that sort of stuff, we see a young teenaged or pre-teenage storm scampering across uh, the roof line of a mansion. She's in Cairo, Illinois, and um, she's thinking to herself in Egyptian about how her old teacher Ahmed uh, would be proud of her in and out. None the wiser. And I think Ahmed is the guy, her well, her, her thief teacher from Egypt that yes. we met. I believe we met in classic X-Men backup story. Probably. Yeah. She she goes into a box, and when she comes out of the box, she's this little girl somehow. Is That's not the classic X-Men story, though, is it? That's just no, like a theory I, I came up with. Yeah, that's just the theory you came <laughs> up with. But I am... I am uh, that theory is not correct, and I, I. No, no, it's totally correct. No, it is, it is canon. It's officially canon. Oh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, and so she she leaves, uh, and she's using her powers now. She's 
discover that she's got some wind power, some lightning power, but she doesn't quite know how to use them. So it gives out on her. The last time we saw her, she was running away from the FBI agent who Jacob uh, Reese is is uh, taken over by the Shadow King. Yeah, um, and we we were wondering because she uses her powers but doesn't really notice mm-hmm. that does the storm have her powers back? And it, it definitely is the case that she, as of this issue, has her powers back. Well, as of that issue, but for sure as of this issue. Yeah, and so she's she loses her wind power. She's falling. She Just as she's about to hit an electrified fence, her wind powers kick on, and she ends up in a tree. She accidentally uses some lightning. She's worried that somebody might have hurt her. Uh, no, she doesn't accidentally use the lightning. She uses the... Where does she accidentally use it? Well, I don't know. When she shoots the tree? Is that not an accident? No, she's shooting the house to make the alarms go off. Oh, okay. It's all part of the plan. So she's robbing some rich guy who is... So her thing right now is that she she's sort of like a Robin Hood. She robs from the rich to give to the poor, except she robs from... Uh, it seems like uh, environmentally unsound people and gives back to the environment of sorts. She does talk about that. I don't remember where, but she's also breaking in and stealing already stolen or black uh, market, uh, Ill, ill-gotten goods, artwork, uh, etc., yeah. and then returning them to her own, to their owners, and thereby the person who spent the money on the black market lost their money and they lost their artwork. Uh, and isn't that I- irony delicious? Getting ahead Man of myself, who lives but. here made his fortune. Strip mining companies buy him up, gut him out, gut him of any asset worth the name. Who cared? Who? What happened to the folks who actually worked there? He always made out like a bandit. Tonight, though, it's his turn. So I guess it's a little bit of each. She's getting back, helping the environment, uh, but also in in doing that, stealing back goods and giving them back to their owners. So it, it works on multiple levels. Something like that. Sure. And so she falls on her leg. Um, she thinks about, uh, her teacher. Oh, she wishes that she had a teacher like Ahmed El-Jabbar to teach her the craft of thievery. Uh, she wishes she had someone similar for her mutant powers, but she doesn't. Nope. Uh, the, so the alarms are going off and the police are showing up. Uh, she surmises, so she shops on her bike, but she is too sore to ride her bike, so she walks her bike back home, which uh, takes us to a, a new scene where um, I don't I don't know if the word storm is supposed to be storm on this computer screen or if it's the a storm. <laughs> it says Cairo, 99 degrees, 37 degrees, and then it says storm, and there's an explosion. I think that that's supposed to be auroral storm. All right. That's stupid. But I, I, I make, okay. I mean, it makes it does make sense. Nanny says, because it is Nanny, an orphan maker, Nanny says, it's taken weeks of scanning to localize her signal. This is the strongest return yet. Only a matter of time. Precious little I'll wager before Aurora is once more ours. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> so, Nanny spells it out for us. I guess... Uh, and Nanny doesn't so much say that, like, we threw a body out of the ship to confuse the X-Men, but she does say we had to regress her to an infant because she was too full of being an X- the X-Men's leader, uh, that she wouldn't uh, serve their purpose. And so they regressed her to a child, 
and now they need to go get her for something and she she will end up being orphan makers uh little sister and i guess whatever capers they're going to do and she uh, nanny has a little bodysuit made up for storm to fit into already it's nothing like orphan makers um the arms are kind of orphan makerish but they uh, I, I, I i'm curious to see if the she ever makes it into the suit i don't know i don't like to see it uh, Peter, orphan maker, he's not very happy about this. I don't need no stupid sister. I can do the job myself. Whatever the job is, and I don't know what that job is. Me either. Meanwhile, at the Mississippi Mall, uh, is this in Cairo, Illinois, or is this in Mississippi? This is in Cairo, Illinois, I would have to assume, because Storm is in this sequence. Oh, you're right, yep. So there's some newscasters and some... Officials, politicians, police, maybe police got a burglary call the other night. Big place on a butchered follow up said it was a false alarm. Owner insisted his junction box short circuited. Oh, I think there's an important piece, though. Uh, there's Connie here who says uh, that she just wants to shoot some local atmosphere. And that's when somebody I don't know, he says, just make sure the mic's turned off. So all of this is off the record. Uh, but Connie's just, just shooting some B-roll, if you will. And so she's loading yeah. up her camera and whatnot. Presumably yeah. this is going to come back, but not this issue. Nope. I'm only pointing it out because I hope it comes back because it's un- yet again another setup for something. Yeah, it's smart. <laughs> it's it's uh, So in the foreground, while these guys are talking about the burglary that happened yesterday, somebody sits down and as we turn the page, it is revealed as she leans in that it is Storm listening in on the conversation. She's very happy. She's sneaky. She's drinking her soda. And uh, the police and I guess the reporters are talking about this modern day Robin Hood stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. And then Connie flips the camera up almost directly at Storm, unbeknowing, uh, just to get some of that atmosphere. And Storm scowls. And she's not very happy that this camera is in place. So she picks up her tray and she leaves. And one hopes that in the next few issues, at some point, Connie is going to review the footage and see nothing. <laughs> oh, well. Like a tray walking away. Interesting. That's not I, the way uh, I would think it would pay off. I would I, 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 would expect that because of the regression, her ability to no longer be scanned by video isn't a thing anymore. But no, they said, uh, you're right, maybe this doesn't pay off. I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Maybe... Maybe she is on the image, and that does mean that that ability has been lost. But when she first appears in Cairo, Illinois, and they hook her up to the machines, they're like, we can't detect her. We can't see her. There's nothing here. You can only look at her. So Connie should not be seeing, when she reviews the footage at some point, she should be seeing a tray getting up and walking away on its own. And the only reason Adam and I are making a big deal about this is that there are eight, sorry, seven panels devoted to this this uh, angle and to this whole camera shot, Storm sitting down, eavesdropping, and then getting up. It's a really nice sequence. It, it actually, like, it, 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 pl- it, it plays out really well. Like, she just, she ends up in the foreground. She kind of, you just see her arms as she sits down. Then she moves her uh, head forward into the shot. She's clearly listening. Uh, as Jeremy pointed out, she kind of reacts when the camera is pointed to her. Then she gets up and walks away. As she's walking away, they're talking about how... Uh, they're talking about her and how she's a deadly killer kid mutant who uh, and they're talking about Jacob Rees and uh, how she 
murdered that person back at the hospital and how she ought to be shot on sight like a rabid dog. And one guy says, well, whatever you say about that girl, weirdest description, brown skin, silver hair, blue eyes. Reese is worse. Man gives me the creeps. I'm glad to be rid of him. I hope he stays in Washington forever. So the way I'm, the way that this should play out, but it, it, it logically can't, is that they air whatever news story from Cairo, Illinois, and Forge sees it and is like, "Hey, that's Storm, but she's a kid." But well, that, no, or, that or can't he be. could he could see the footage and say, "Hey, that's a tray walking <laughs> around. It must be the X Men." So I don't know if it's Storm, but Cairo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what a coincidence and a floating tray. So I'm very curious how this will end up playing out. I feel like I feel like we're in no prize territory. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this was another uh, uh, breadcrumb that Chris Claremont set down that he just never got a chance to capitalize on. Maybe we'll find out. Don't know. I hope we find out. Well, if we don't, find, if we if it doesn't play out, we'll probably forget about it. I'm sure we will. But uh, podcasters. Or listeners who have just listened to us talk about this for like five minutes, you know, they might have a more of a chance of remembering it and being like, hey, Adam and Jeremy are right. Really? That's what you guys are for. Yeah. You write in know. when we forget about this, write in and tell us we forgot. And then we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's weird. We didn't forget. <laughs> we were just waiting. It could still happen. We'd like to make you guys feel good. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., uh, Val Cooper is here, and she's crying. She's got a tear coming down her face. Um, but somebody's telling her to not cry, and I can't tell if it's Jacob Reese or if it's this uh, girl, Leon. But either way, Jacob Reese has uh, possessed this girl named Leon and Valerie Cooper, uh, so they are his slaves. It is Leon uh, saying that because it, it follows her. She says, don't cry, Dr. Cooper. Can I call you Val? I'm Leon. It isn't so bad being a slave. Being my slave, just as you are. She can hardly argue. And this is where we learn. Well, do we learn it yet? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. He says, like, you should have listened to Colonel Zahn's warning. From the past couple of issues. But I don't No, I don't really know what's happening here because... Jacob Reese, well, Jacob Reese is possessed by the Shadow King, so we should really just be calling him the Shadow King. Well, yeah, it says it on the very next page. At the very bottom, he he is uh, envisioning Storm in chains, and he says, very now, very soon now, one for whom the Shadow King has waited a human lifetime, Storm. Because he wants to possess her. Uh, he was robbed of that right, again, I believe, in that classic X-Men story that we read so long ago. Um, but for some reason, the warning was about, oh, I guess the warning from Colonel Zahn or whatever was about the factions of Mr. Sinister, Apocalypse, a new entity, the Shadow King, and Genosha. Because the, the first time they meet up, he doesn't know there's right. a mysterious faction. The second time they meet up, he says, hey, they, we figured out who the mysterious faction is, and it's the Shadow King. Not sure what that is. Yeah, right. But see, uh, uh at some point, uh, Jacob Reese here met up with Val Cooper and, and possessed her or, or made her uh, his slave. Um, I don't really get the dialogue of like, you should have listened to him. Like, I don't know what, what that would have done because um, Jacob Reese and, and Valerie Cooper could have just been like passing on the street and he'd be like, you're mine. And she's like, oh, 
I guess I um <laughs> I guess the idea is you you should have protected yourself better oh, okay. because be. it was super easy to take over you. So it wasn't even it wasn't even a challenge. Yeah, so he wants to start with Freedom Force and he's particularly interested in Mystique and Destiny. Destiny's dead, killed in action along with Stonewall in a recent encounter with a gang of cyborg killers. So he's like, "Oh, that sucks." Uh, but good, Destiny's out of the way, so nobody'll see what's coming. Uh, I, mean, you, I mean, Mystique is probably a wreck. Yeah, you should so kill her. Go kill her, Val Cooper. And Val Cooper's like, okay. Off she goes. And that's when we get to the whole, like, if not, I still possess her knowledge as I possess you, Leon, and soon Storm. I feel like he wants to possess Storm without his powers, though, but we'll get to that later. Okay. Meanwhile, in Cairo, uh, in an old abandoned Air Force base where Storm has taken up uh, occupancy, I guess. She lives here. Uh, it's pretty she, neat. She lives in an airplane, yeah. Sure, why not? She's dreaming about her parents. They're at a park. They're having a picnic. Um, this is not, I think, traditionally what you would think of Storm's upbringing as. You, I think you would think of, like, the desert. Uh, it's very, very green, very lush, very foresty. But I think you would think of her uh, her mother and her father probably somewhere in Africa, kind of deserty. Yes, but I mean we get we get to that. This I is know, this, but I'm just uh, saying, like, okay, as as an X Men reader who has maybe paid attention to to Storm's origin, you look at this and you're like, huh, why is she calling this man in jeans daddy? That doesn't seem to line up. But didn't she talk when when she was in the streets of Harlem? Harlem, uh, yeah, with Luke uh, Luke Cage. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking I, Luke Cage felt wrong because it felt like I was saying Nick Cage, but I wasn't <laughs> saying Nick Cage. It is Luke Cage. I thought she talked about how her father lived on the streets of Harlem. Her father, if if I recall correctly, was an American, uh, African American, oh, African American American from America, and her mother was n- native to Egypt. So this isn't completely like brand new material because we, we already know that her father is in, from America sure. and her, her mother is from Africa. Yeah, but Storm's got like a white T-shirt on and overalls and, and shoes. You would expect it's comics. It's still the 80s or is it the 90s? Either way, you you would you would I think that there should be like Africa garb. Well, they're not in Africa. Right. Yet. Exactly. Seen. So. That's my only point. Something seems okay. amiss. Gotcha. But it's very fun, right? Uh, Dad's playing uh, airplane with Storm. Storm's probably four or five years old here. Uh, Storm's mom is like, oh, you guys are having so much fun. Why don't you come eat some lunch? And things, uh, well, it's it's kind of telling that, you know, he's having her fly and you get some sort of stuff about how he's a pilot and how Storm is also a, eventually a flyer. Um, how can this be? Or airplanes are supposed to be lighter when they come down than when they take off. Again, Daddy, please, I want to fly. And then things start get, get start getting weird because uh, her mother, Storm's mother, turns into Nanny, and Storm's father turns into the Shadow King, and they're both tearing at Storm, trying to pull her in their own direction. And she wakes up and... Uh, well, Storm also, in this dream, she she's like, y- you're the evil one, the king of shadows. Get away from me. Give me my daddy back. And then right. her mom says, don't worry, we'll protect you. And she's like, you're not my mummy. Are you my mummy? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, you're nanny. So it's like she's got some sort of memory of these folks from, I guess, a different lifetime. It's a dream. Sure. It's her subconscious. 
And so, yes, then she wakes up. She wakes up and uh, there is a storm brewing around her because that's how her powers work. And it lifts the airplane off of the ground of the rubbish that she it, it, it was lying in. And she's uh, shocked. She starts, stop it. Please stop it. Stop it. And the airplane crashes to the ground with a whomp. And she thinks to herself, oh, no, did I, did I do all that? And she did. She did, Jeremy. She did. She, I know she did. Uh, and then so she's really tired and she she lays back down and, and then she starts. Uh, now she's thinking and she has already for a while uh, been thinking in English. Yeah, at some and point she'll comment she, on that she in a comments moment. on that. But now she's thinking like uh, um, pictures keep racing through my mind, pieces of puzzles, not all the same. I'm Aurora. I was born in America. My parents were killed in the land far away. But that was Cairo. The city's Cairo. That can't be. Cairo of my memory was by a great river. And so is this. This city is also America. Where is the desert? Why is it so wet and cold? And who are these images I see? Uh, one is so much like me, but each time I reach out to, to them, to her, they vanish. And she's seeing visions of the X-Men as they appeared in the outback. And the storm is reaching out to her. Oh, here's Havoc. So that's why he's on the cover. Sure. You were wrong. He's totally in this comic. He's absolutely in this panel. <laughs> uh, leaving me aching inside worse than before. Enough. This puzzle will not come together. Uh, then I will solve a different puzzle. There's only one antidote for misery. Action. We cut to a stylish modern apartment uh, where Jacob Rays and Leanne are setting up a trap for Storm. They found kind of like the last corrupt rich person in Cairo <laughs> and they've shown up and there's a lot of talk about like, oh, these these people have wine that they can't possibly appreciate and artwork they can't possibly know uh, and I've corrupted them. They're my hounds and Storm's going to be here. Yeah, the the paintings that they own are stolen, and doesn't this guy doesn't know a thing about art. The possessing is all an irresistible score for Aurora. The man spent a fortune on his collection. She steals them and returns them to their rightful owners, leaving him out the money and the loot. That appeals to her innate sense of honor, just as it does to my sense of honor. Uh, irony that I turned these people into dogs. Yeah, uh, and it goes on and on and on. Leanne's like, she's corrupt she's like oh are you going to take her over and he's long like, ago she was promised to me she's the one that got away uh a fellow mutant is is something else not so easy a conquest of a conquest at all quite perceptive my dear and he lays her over a table i don't know if he's gonna like sexually molest him or her or if he's a vampire getting ready to bite into her neck yeah, they it's it's a weird uh, scene where it kind of looks like he's about to bite her neck, and then you cut to another scene where he it looks like he's about to uh, get on top of her. But um, yeah, I, I can only imagine what's going on here. Yep. Uh, but it doesn't matter because the hounds react to something, and they immediately take off because as we cut to the next panel, Storm is flying in with a cool backpack and parachute sort of gear not sure why i don't think it's a parachute i think it's her backpack for all of the goods she's going to steal from this place so i think she's flying on her wind power it goes around her legs it's weird you're right it's a very parachutey backpack you're right 
Right. So maybe she she found a parachute sack and it's empty and she's just filling it up with paintings. It's a painting. It's a parachute painting pack. PPP. <laughs> so the hounds attack her. Oh, fingers clawed at the tips, tearing in my throat. She has fangs falling backwards. The skylight. She falls through the skylight. Luckily lands on a bed. And here's where she gets the uh, the, the the giant stick on the cover. It's actually a lamp. She breaks it and smashes it into the hound's face. Ah, bleeding. She cut me. Rotten cow. I hope that hurt. Ignore the wound. Get out. Tend to it later. Get out. This is trouble where there is no one. There may be more. Get out now, she tells herself. And as she turns around, the rest of the hounds are there, as well as Jacob Rees. A.K.A. the Shadow King. Yes, Aurora, this is a trap of one from which you haven't a prayer of escaping. You'll be mine. Yep. Next, Gambit. Out of the frying pan. Into the Gambit. See, if uh, if if you were an ex-fan just reading this issue, you wouldn't know necessarily that Gambit is a character. Nope. And you would be like, Gambit, out of the frying pan. That must be the title. Sounds exciting. Next issue must be about some sort of a gambit of some sort. Could be, could be. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, maybe I don't remember this issue so much because I was like, gotta get to gambit, gotta get to gambit. Flip, flip, <laughs> flip, 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 flip. But I really, uh, I don't have much of a memory of this issue. The thing is, I don't either. Um, <laughs> but, but as I was reading it, this is a quality issue. Like I, I enjoy, I enjoy the art. It's definitely not, your standard fair art. There's a lot of uh, big eyeballs, but I get kind of used to it. Um, I feel like it's hard to draw in comic books children, and I think mm-hmm. they do a decent job of drawing children. Uh, yes. This person, whose name I don't remember, Bill Jessica. And so so I really enjoyed it. And the the, the putting together the the pieces of, of building up, it's sort of a setup issue, obviously, but it, it's well done. And I was... And it's like, why don't I remember this? This is a really good issue. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as really good. It's it's pretty good. It's the best issue we've done so far. <laughs> I couldn't even say that straight. Um, the interesting thing is Marvel. Oh, Marvel. Un, no, Marvel Unlimited says that the penciler was Kieran Dwyer. But that's not what the credits say. Uh, maybe the next issue is Kieran Dwyer. Or we did we did an issue that was Kieran Dwyer. Yeah. A couple of issues ago, so maybe... I feel like Marvel Unlimited's a little flawed. I don't trust Marvel Unlimited. Uh, no, my, my point is, uh, the, like, this, the sequence we talked about uh, with, with Storm and her tray, really good. Even though it's, like, two pages, it, it didn't really feel like two pages. It felt like action was occurring in the foreground, and then just, like, some exposition or story stuff was happening in the background, which is the perfect way to do that sort of a thing. There were a few um, kind of exposition dumps from um, Jacob Rees that were, like, can we like do something different? Could we see something different? Uh, so in for me, it felt like, I don't know, the comic should have had less pages or we should have flipped over to see like what Wolverine and Jubilee were doing. Well, the first exposition dump, I didn't mind because it was, it had a point. She was sending Valerie Cooper off on a mission. So that worked for me. Sure. That one was fine. I think it's just, the the hounds at at the at the mansion. Second one went by quickly enough that it didn't bug me. It was like two pages. Yeah. But yeah, overall, quality issue. So P Ender 
next shows up in Uncanny X-Men 275. So okay. I look forward to that. I can't wait. I'm going to guess that X-Men number 275 is a double-sized uh, spectacular. Could be. Is 275 like the return of the professor? I bet you it is. Could be. Could be. Don't remember. I don't remember. All right. Well, uh, we we got some communique. We sure did. Did we? Uh, we did from close Javik Xavier. He says, guys, Kieran Dwyer is actually quite good. I just don't think Rubenstein was a good inker for him on issue number 262. His Captain America run was solid. Check out Captain America, the Bloodstone Hunt. It's a love letter to pulp era adventure hero, which is basically what Indiana Jones is. Plus, Dwyer's art is inked much better. What, which, which one's 262? I don't know. Okay. Uh, so we just did 265. So 262 is maybe the first Forge issue. Did we not like Kieran Dwyer's art there? I, I, so my take on it is that, so I've, I have read this Captain America, the Bloodstone hunt and mm-hmm. it's fun, but you know, if you have to be, I feel like it's, it's, if you like Captain America, you'll like it. If you don't, you'll probably be like, what is this? Um, I, his, his artwork is not good or bad to me. It's, it's just, it's, it's services. It like, it doesn't really stand out, but it also, it's also not bad in any way, shape or form. Is it better than what you could do? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's comic booky. You like, I read old issues of GI Joe and I'm not really thinking about no, the artwork. No, no. And I think that's how Kieran Dwyer is. He, it looks like a comic book. It feels like a comic book. It's what I expect when I open a comic book. It is, it is the perfect feel for what I expect from a comic book. Whereas Jim, Jim Lee's a little fancy. Um, although eventually that would kind of change. Um, Todd McFarlane is obviously way out there. Um, obviously that also would change, but these, these are like the, the shakers and the movers where you notice the art and you're like, is it good? Not really sure, but it's definitely different and different is exciting. And Kieran Dwyer is not different, but he's also not bad. I'm looking at 262. I'm not going to listen to what we said. Uh, I'm sure we had opinions. I'm sure we talked yeah. about him at length. Um, I, I probably, I think that if uh, I was to guess, I would say that uh, we said it was a mixed bag because there are some very pretty looking pictures and then there are some like eh, serviceable, as you said, artwork. Is that the one that ends with the Jean Grey Banshee full page spread where they yes. have? Okay. Yeah, that, that was a really cool panel. That was a good panel. I agree. So anyways, uh, also take a look at issue, take a look again at issue number 260. Jenny Ransom had been showing signs of becoming simple before the events of 262. Uh, not quite Hulk smash kind of simple, but uh, definitely giving off vibes of Venice Beach muscle jock and speedo lifting weights and downing cans of monster energy drink. Well, it's like 20 years too early for monster energy drink. <laughs> it was reiterated by the Genosian magistrates in 259 that she expe- experienced some cognitive modifications during the mutate process that gave her muscles. So there's probably a link to be made in 262. Uh, and it was just the first time that Philip is noticeably alarmed by her increasingly unjenny behavior. Don't worry. As your memory degrades with each episode, your listeners will step in uh, with an assist for whenever you get lost in the parking lot while looking for the ramp to Interstate 90. I appreciate that. So I went back to issue 260 because I saw this and I uh, I disagree. I don't think there's anything in 260 in the Jenny Ransom scenes pointing to the fact that she's going to uh, degenerate or whatever. Um, however, that said, I mean, Chris Claremont could do what he wants. I mean, if, if he wants him to snap his fingers and she suddenly starts to degrade, 
and that's instead of getting signs for it that's just happens then that's fine that's what the story is so i don't really have a problem with it i think we just kind of like pointing out things when they don't have like anything leading up to it um that that said if i'm getting on the ramp to interstate 90 how did i end up in a walgreens i don't know I mean, maybe that's the problem. Mm. I, I guess, how did I get to this Walgreens? And how am I going to get out of this Walgreens? And where is Interstate 90? There's an Interstate 90 in uh, Wisconsin. I think there's an Interstate 90 in... Well, there's definitely there's definitely one in New York. <laughs> um, I Probably every state has an Interstate 90. Well, no, it's Pro- an, that's probably not true. It's an interstate. So it, there's only one. But it goes to different states. Yeah, it's an interstate. Okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Existing or carried between states. Okay, so it it goes between at least two states. We don't know how many. It goes through many, many. Uh, the upper half. Uh, I don't know. Now, now I'm going to look at benign information like what states do Interstate <laughs> 90 go through. Uh, our old friend Google Maps will tell us. What's the old interstate? Is that like 88? What? Or- there's like the old interstate where it's like the original interstate is like 88 or something. It's the one that people write all the songs about. Route 66? Maybe Get your kicks. On route, so 90 goes through Chicago, uh, goes to Elkhart, goes into Cleveland. Oh, yeah. 90 has to go oh, up and then into New York. Where's Buffalo? Uh, and the... West side of New York goes state. over over by Rochester, about as far west as you can go. Yeah, the uh, ninety connects Buffalo. Yeah, there's Rochester. Buffalo and Rochester, over to Utica, and then I'm sure it goes probably goes all the way to California. So that's an that's an east west interstate. So the the interstate that I'm thinking of, which I think is like labeled the oldest interstate there is, goes north south, but I don't think it's Route 66 because that's a route, not an interstate. Oldest interstate in the U.S. is I-70. Maybe that's that's what I'm thinking. I don't know if anybody's writing songs about I-70, but I'm also yeah. not that learned. Well, maybe I'm getting Route 66 and I-70 confused. Oh, Interstate 90, Seattle to Boston, 3,085 miles. All right, let's do it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's a popular, popular thing to do. Um, although, I also wonder if... Um, close Javik Shaviers like in my mind because I feel like somewhere in my life I probably was stuck in a Walgreens looking for the on-ramp to Interstate 90. <laughs> like how do I don't know how to get there. I see it, but I can't drive to it. It's probably happened to me. I'm sure it's good. It's definitely going to happen more too. <laughs> <laughs> I usually get I get mad at stuff like that when I'm like <laughs> driving and I and I and I refuse to like figure out the directions and I just know I'm going the wrong way and I just getting madder and madder at myself and I just end up in the middle of nowhere. I'm just like, I'll get back eventually. God, <laughs> why am I so stupid? I, I've done that a few times uh, coming back from various places where I used to drive the route all the time and then it's been a few years and I'll be driving and I'm like, yeah, man, make a right and a left and then another right. And I'm like, it just where, keeps getting worse and worse. Where, where and worse. am I? And then I'll pop open Google Maps and I'll be like, I'm nowhere near where I think I'm <laughs> supposed to be. What's happening to me? So yeah, yeah. I also get angry when I'm like, I used to know this and now I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you'd like to point out things that we've forgotten uh, over the duration of our podcast, please do so by uh, visiting us at xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. 
Uh, follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. Email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found to subscribe to us, leave us stars, leave us feedback. Or you can go out to patreon.com forward slash danger room where we're still covering a lot of the recent Dawn of X stuff as well as our, our sort of organically formed pseudo movie podcast, which, uh, you know, backs up the Dawn of X talk. Good stuff. Yeah. Jeremy talks a lot about horror films that he has been watching. He's he's a bit of a horror buff. So if you you like horror movies, yeah, you're definitely going to enjoy us, maybe. Adam doesn't like horror movies. It's kind of like talking to a wall. Cause like, I don't oh, mm-hmm. dislike. Well, I do dislike. Horror you dislike movies. horror movies? Oh. Yeah, I. You know, there are some obviously that are good, um, but I'm not like I'm not like a fan. Hmm. There's enough horror in the world without me. It's true. Scared by things that I don't know. But but the things in horror movies are usually simple scares. The world's full of layers upon layers upon layers of scary things. There are the, there are definitely good horror films. I, I, will, uh, I will definitely concede to that. All right, uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Um, we've got a little bit more to read, a little bit more to talk about. Sure do. Um, a red Excalibur number uh, twenty six. Twenty six. It was um, it was interesting. It's fine. Uh. It's another story that takes place before the cross time caper. So it's kind of a fill in issue, but it also resolves a lot of things that I think Chris, Chris Claremont meant to touch upon or something. I'm, I'm, it, it's sort of weird what happens to Captain Britain through this, this pace of this issue. Yeah. So it's not written by Chris Claremont. It's written by Michael Higgins. And I don't know if Michael Higgins just like grabbed Chris Claremont's notebook and was like, oh, I'll, I'll take some of this on. Gonna fill in some of these gaps. It's it's a sort of a Days of Future Past tie-in. We get a lot of flashbacks to X Men number one forty one, number one forty two, specifically with Franklin Richards being evaporated um, and its negative effects on Rachel. She's in the present time. Um, she's kind of going back and forth between having nightmares of all of the things that happened in those issues, kind of I guess before she came back in time. But then all of a sudden she settles down into some peaceful dreams. Uh, she wakes up all refreshed and she's happy. And, and she's like, we should go shopping, kitty. Um, Nightcrawler and Megan are kind of like hanging out. Megan's all upset. Nightcrawler's like, you got to be your own woman. You shouldn't let Brian be such a jerk and tie you down. Isn't he such a jerk? Be your own woman. Captain Britain comes in and he's like, oh, I see what's happening. Well, I'm leaving. I'm going far away. I might not come back. And so Megan is like, all right, Nightcrawler, let's go flying. And Nightcrawler's thinking to himself like, oh, man, we probably shouldn't move so quickly. I mean, she's on the rebound. To which I'm like, uh, did they just, did Megan and Captain Britain just break up? Is that what's happening here? So I think so, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I think it's kind of, Filling in the gaps of like there there was a story building up before the cross time caper where uh, Captain Britain was getting angrier and angrier. Yes. And uh, eventually I don't know where the whole what's her what's her satiny satin Saturnine, Saturnine thing comes into that. Um, the, the whole thing with Saturnine happens like right before the cross time caper where she takes over what's her face Courtney Ross. Right. 
and Megan sees Captain Britain go into the apartment. She's like, oh my God, what's happening? Or something like that. And then like all the cross time caper stuff happened. And then filler issues happened that happened before cross time caper. So I'll try to get to that. And, and I guess we can hypothesize as to what we think is happening here. But anyways, like within minutes of Captain Britain, like I'm out of here. Nightcrawler's like, oh, I guess me and Megan are going steady. That's the oddest thing that I think is going on here. I'm pretty sure they do it because they kind of go off and disappear for a while. And when they come back, they're both really happy. That just seems really weird because they live in Captain Britain's lighthouse. <laughs> it's comic books. I guess. I think, I think they went off and uh, they might really have. connected. They they might have, which doesn't really seem in character because anytime this has happened in the past, Megan's been like, oh, Captain Britain. But I guess you could also just summarize this to like, oh, it's the last straw. I'm sick of that guy. Maybe. So anyways, uh, they go off uh, to do it, I suppose. Um Kitty and Phoenix, they go to the store. Phoenix sees a man who looks very familiar, like Franklin Richards as an adult. Kitty's like, whatever, I'm off. I'm going to get a coffee. And so uh, Rachel's like, hey, Franklin. And he's like, yeah, Rachel. Oh, my God. We did it. Nimrod was able to return back in time, but we saved the future. So there's a few loose ends, but we're together. Isn't that amazing? She's like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Kitty catches up a little later and uh, she's like, oh my God, I, I remember you. I don't know how, but I do. Uh, so they all go back to the lighthouse. Um, Widget and Lockheed are not happy about what's happening. They kind of freak out when they see Franklin. And yeah. I guess there must have been a scene in another episode or issue where Lockheed and Franklin were freaked out by Captain Britain. No, it was in this issue. Oh, was it? Okay. So there's a freak out element happening here. Kitty's like, well, I'll leave you two alone. And she goes down to go do some software stuff. Uh, uh, Phoenix and Franklin decide to do a Psylink because uh, Phoenix is like, what what have you been up to? And he's like, oh, it's just so much. I can't even tell you. Uh, Hey, we should do a Psylink and I'll just dump you the information. And so they do. And um, Kitty's like, or Lockheed won't leave Kitty alone. She's like, all right, what does it matter? Yeah, okay, you don't like Franklin? Well, let's go upstairs and find out what's happening. So she walks up the stairs, and she appears back in her office. She walks up to the stairs again, and she appears back in her office. And she's like, something's not right here. So she phases through the ceiling, and she ends up back in her office. And she's like, something's wrong. Um, this is where, you're right, uh, Nightcrawler and Megan come back. I Based on the artwork, their hair is a little messed up. <laughs> I had a marvelous time, Kurt. That's how I heard. I thought I heard Rachel's voice, but it looks like there's no one here. It gives us more time with each other. Let's do it again. <laughs> uh, so they go down and they, they go find Kitty. And meanwhile, Franklin kind of like erupts into like the celestial being. He's like, oh, I've got the Phoenix power. Uh, Franklin and Phoenix are, are making out. Uh, then Franklin disappears. Franklin is now kind of like this space entity. By the power of Phoenix, I have the power. He says that too, which is really weird. Uh, Nightcrawler and Megan, they go down and talk to Kitty, Widget and Lockheed. And Kitty's like, oh, great. Now we're stuck down here. Uh, Kitty kind of gives them the the 411 on what happened in the future or what she could recall. Uh, And that's when she's like, yeah, that's what's been bothering me about Franklin. Franklin was 
disintegrated by a sentinel, and I saw it. So that can't be Franklin. So they call Muir Island. So this is pre-sexy Moira McTaggart. And so they don't call Muir, Muir, Muir Island. Oh, oh or, you're right. This they, is just a uh, you're right. just an aside that does play into the issue. Uh, Kitty says, I've got a plan. This is why I got confused. Says, I've got a plan, and it cuts over to Muir Island, and her computers start bleeping, which I thought was a phone call. Which doesn't seem to connect to anything, uh, but she goes, uh, Moira uh, McTaggart, pre-sexy Moira McTaggart, goes into a cell block. A sleeper cell block. Opens it up and says, merciful heavens, and then we cut back. Yep. The crew, as they were, are dressed like future Kate. And I guess future night. Well, I don't know. Nightcrawler's not dressed as anything. He ends up like with a cummerbund and a mustache. Like, <laughs> I, I guess older Nightcrawler. Is he future somebody? I don't know. I don't recall Nightcrawler from those issues, but maybe he was there. Megan is like, oh, I have shape changing powers. I don't usually use them like this, but I'll try it. And she turns herself into Jean Grey, Black Queen. And then they all teleport uh, in. Well, they try to go upstairs. Or Kitty's like, we can't just go upstairs. I've tried it a bunch of times. You just end up back here. And that's when Nightcrawler's like, oh, I'll just teleport us. Which he does, which is successful. Phoenix concentration is broken. She's like, oh, my God, Kate, now you're here? Because she sees future versions of the X-Men. And uh, she's like, oh, my gosh, you should say hi to Franklin, who disappears. Uh, and then Megan Jean shows up and is like, I'm the Black Queen. There's no escape for me. Uh, and I guess this rattles um, uh, Rachel enough for her to kind of come to her senses. And that's when Franklin turns into Captain Britain and was like, you guys are pathetic. There's a really nice panel where Lockheed is providing the flames that are coming behind uh, Megan as. Oh, you're right. Yeah. As, uh, Dark Phoenix or Black, the Black Queen. Yep. Uh, it's Jason Wingard. It's Mastermind who I guess has been posing as Captain Britain and then was posing as Franklin. And he's like, I got no need for this disguise. I got everything I need. I'm power incarnate. And Phoenix is like, you might have power, but I am power. Uh, and then she, she does the thing that everybody does to him, <laughs> which is basically make him go crazy, make his eyes go buggy uh, and make him fall to the floor catatonically. Which honestly I thought is where we last left him off, but Apparently it is not. every time we have a mastermind story in which he does the exact same thing somebody leaves him in this exact same state uh and so phoenix is freaking out kitty has to settle her down they do um they basically they touch base with moira so i guess moira comes to england with captain britain captain britain turns out has been in the sleeper cell block this whole time I guess I don't know how long, but for a while. At some point, Jason Wingard swapped places with Captain Britain because apparently Jason Wingard was the one who was in the sleeper cell. Yes. So for how long? We don't know, I guess. At least as long as Captain Britain's been being a jerk. Which has been like since issue one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I was wondering if this is just a coincidence of the artwork, but Nightcrawler's sitting there drinking coffee like... Uh oh, Megan has like a blank look and Captain Britain's just like, oh, my mind was trapped. I was in the sleeper cell block. And so now you got to go back to that whole thing with Nightcrawler and Megan and be like, what up? 
See, I didn't realize that this wasn't written by Chris Claremont until you pointed it out. <laughs> it's the first thing I looked at. It just felt like another sort of thing. Uh, well, so anyways, what they did with Master Mind is they put him back into the sleeper cell block, but they let him believe that he was one with the universe with the power of the Phoenix. So he'll never come back and do the same thing again. <laughs> Let's hope not. So it, it does, they, they confirm that Captain Britain was replaced for a period of time. Yeah, a sequence of time that we are unsure of. We don't know how this relates to Saturnine. Chris Claremont's going to get back and be like, wait, what? Or maybe maybe he's not writing it anymore. Uh, yeah, he, he eventually stops writing it. So maybe maybe it's just like a, a series of fillers before they find a new writer. Maybe. Uh, let's look at the next issue. Next issue is written by, uh, well, it's penciled by Barry Windsor Smith and written by Chris Claremont. So who knows? Okay. That sounds like it might be good. Yeah. So uh, uh, an interesting filler issue. A lot of things happening. Kind of brings up some questions, though. Uh, like, what are they trying to resolve with this whole Captain Britain? How far do we go back? I know that it doesn't matter because uh, ultimately the story is saying that the real Captain Britain went on the cross-time caper. Right. I guess, uh, does that mean that the real Captain Britain went to go see Saturnine? Because this also just says this happens That's what I don't know. for the cross-time caper, which... Could could be any time before the crash time caper. Yeah, so I guess we'll find out in upcoming issues where exactly this issue takes place. As long as we're on the Excalibur topic, let's talk about Quasar number eleven because it does have a, a uh, yeah, it does have Phoenix in it. Um, I'll be honest, I pretty much just skimmed this. That's fine. I'm not going to take very long. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know who this person is. Apparently, it's a Captain Britain villain, but mo. Modred or Modred or something like that? What's his name? Modred the Mystic. This uh, takes place right after the events of the Cross Time Caper. So this is the real Captain Britain. Okay. That's <laughs> good to know. That clears up a lot of things that happen in this story. Um, Modred the Mystic uh, takes over Phoenix because he's looking for somebody to occupy his body with. And uh, she's a super powerful force, and Quasar goes after super powerful forces because that's kind of his thing as he is protecting the Earth from aliens. And uh, Phoenix is quite a big sort of high-level alien. I guess Quasar has a big thing where he's searching for a... a there's going to be a big battle that the Quasar is building up to. He thinks maybe this is it. But this isn't it. Um, Modred is able to separate himself from Phoenix. Okay. Uh, and then they all fight, um, Phoenix's Modred's slave for a bit. Excalibur shows up, the real Captain Britain. Kitty's not in this issue for some reason. Oh, it's, it's probably because in the cross time. <sighs> she's out of college. Yeah, she's, she's gone right now. So she hasn't gotten back together with Excalibur. I think they literally say, boy, I'm glad that ca cross time caper is over. It's nice to relax. <laughs> Is, is actual dialogue somewhere in this. Um, with Excalibur's help, uh, Quasar is able to uh, stop Modred and Phoenix by redirecting Phoenix's blasts at Modred, and then they send him into one of the cross-time caper doorways that Widget creates. Uh, so he's now somewhere else. And uh, that that's great. But 
at the end, they kind of imply that this whole idea was Modred's like plan all along, I guess. So uh, I don't know if this is relevant to Excalibur along, but I guess Modred is a Excalibur villain or a, uh, a Captain Britain villain. So this is interesting. Also, like uh, we didn't cover Quasar, I think it was nine or eight or whatever, but there, apparently there was a New Mutants uh, cameo in that. Um, but I couldn't acquire a copy, so, oh well. Yeah, Marvel Unlimited goes from issue 6 to issue 10. Yep, so we're out of luck. But uh, if you are a completist... Uh, and you want to mail us a copy of Quasar number 9... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it. I mean, actually, we just did cover it, sort of, uh, just by telling you about it. I'm sure it doesn't really affect anything. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, speaking of not, not covering things or, or being good, um, new mutants number 91. Yeah, this was a real letdown. Um, so you remember how you were talking about like, oh, it feels like, um, Ra or Louise Simonson is not writing and it's just straight up, um, Rob Liefeld. And I was like, no, this is, this is kind of action packed and like it's moving and it's exciting. This issue, while it did move and I guess it was action packed Felt like it was written by a 12-year-old. So this issue literally is written by someone else. It says Louise Simons, oh, plotter. Louise Simons is the plotter, you but if you, if you go over four, it's Fabian Nicieza Ooh, is the scripter. Really? So, it, doesn't he do good stuff later on, or is he not a good I, writer? Eventually, I think so. I mean, I think he takes over X-Men. He takes over X-Men and, and, and maybe he takes over X-Men. I honestly don't know. Um, is X-Force? X-Force isn't written by Rob Liefeld, is it? Isn't that Fabian Nisazia and... I believe it is plotted by the two of them, sure. Rob Liefeld and Fabian, and Fabian Nicieza does the, does the dialogue. So clearly, the dialogue in this issue is... Very bad. Yeah, um, it, it's the weakest element. Clearly, it it yeah. it's it's clunky. It's it's jokey. It tries to tell some jokes. It's kind of the jokes are kind of welcome. Um, but it's just it, it this is this is not a good issue. Boom Boom uses like teeny bopper language that we've not heard her use before. So immediately I'm like somebody else somebody else wrote this. Like, I'm yeah. not saying uh, Louise Simonson's got her finger on the pulse, but this isn't dialogue that she would have written. And I thought I thought maybe this was the end of her run, but uh, she, uh, starting not next issue, but the following issue, she does return as the full-time uh, writer. So she, I, guess, I think she makes it through uh, Extinction Agenda, and mm -hmm. then at some point, I think before X-Force, she just gives up. <laughs> I feel like uh, like Rob Liefeld and Fabian Nicieza are probably like on the same page. They're both probably young men. I, I feel uh, like it's like a boys club thing. Like yeah, Louis Simonson's yeah. probably 30s, 40s, and here comes Rob Liefeld. He's like 20. Yeah. I don't know how old Fabian is. He's probably also young. They're like, we don't want this old woman writing our comic, do we? No. That's how I feel, too. I don't yeah. know if that is accurate at all to what's going on, but that's how it feels for sure. Well... I'll tell you one thing. When I watched that Marvel documentary, um, Rob Liefeld got his own shot. Um, Todd McFarlane had his own shot in his studio, of course, because I think that's the only place he ever does uh, interviews. And then you had Louis Simonson, Chris Claremont, and, oh my gosh, somebody else all in the same shot. Like they, it, to me, it seemed like these three people are still friends, probably still hang out, have dinner parties. <laughs> 
uh, and want nothing to do with some of those other folks. I could be wrong, but that was kind of the feeling I got from the book of like the old guard were still kind of kind of dialed in together and the new guard, they kind of just went off into their own thing. Yeah, they're young and, you know, it shows. Anyhow, uh, this, in a nutshell, I think there's some some dialogue I'd like to, to kind of hit. Um, but the the in a nutshell, uh, Richter went down here to prove himself. I don't know why he needs to do this, because he's already proven himself in, in other areas. But when he went down, Caliban was there, Sabretooth was down, Sabretooth and Caliban started fighting. Uh, Richter was kind of punched around a little bit, and so the new mutants come, and they are going to rescue Richter and they, I felt like in the last issue, Richter was gutted by Sabretooth, but that, that, uh, if, if that's what happened, this doesn't touch on that. No. And so the Morlocks led by masks show up and they're like, Hey, you shouldn't be here. And cables like, we just want to get Richter and masks like, okay, but then you got to (laughs) go. And so, they end up finding Caliban and uh, Sabretooth. They end up fighting Caliban and Sabretooth. They end up at least making Richter free. Like, of, I don't want to say they save him or rescue them, because really it, it seems like Mask and his Morlocks show up, and they're like, no, we're going to kill Sabretooth. And then Caliban like emerges from a wall because he'd been beaten up a little bit. He's like, no, I'm going to kill Sabretooth. And then everyone's like, let's just go. So after the new, the new Mutants and Cable first meet up with uh, the mask, they go off on their own, and then they, they come across Caliban and Sabretooth fighting. They end up fighting Caliban for some reason, and uh, Boom Boom drops a huge chunk of the ceiling onto him yeah and while this is happening Sabretooth runs off with Richter and then Richter on his own is able to uh, gather up some courage to fight Sabretooth and then we cut to the scene where you are uh, having Mask showing up and saying like uh, we want to take Sabretooth he we owe him not you and Caliban shows up which is and, all fine because you're like yeah sure Mask and the Morlock should kill Sabretooth because of all the all the pain and then it makes sense when Caliban's like no 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 I want to take care of him because Caliban's probably the one who suffered the most all that's fine I want to point out like a terrible continuity issue here so I don't know how this can possibly happen because the, the comic books aren't they generally drawn linearly maybe not so if you look at page 12 of 22 Richter is in a t-shirt and he drops the ceiling on Sabretooth. Then on the next page, page uh, 13, bottom right, he's got his leather jacket on and no white t-shirt. Then on no, the next page, funny. he's got his leather jacket. And then on, on the same page on the bottom right, he's with cannonball and has a white, like wife beater t-shirt on. You know, Rob Liefeld don't have time for continuity. Uh, and it, and it, I feel like it continues. I think at one point he doesn't have a shirt on at all. So what I noticed about this issue is that Rob Liefeld draws people in one of two poses with their arms spread in a squatting position with their fingers kind of at their side um, and all of their fingers are spread. Mm -hmm. There are multiple people in this position throughout this issue or the other position where they're standing tall and their legs are tight together. Uh, Those are like really your two options. Fingers spread legs apart or legs tight together. Yeah. This is how we, this is it. That's, that's, that's it. And, and big wide rictus grins. 
he does love those big wide grins. It's very there's some anime style mm-hmm. looking uh, panels here. Definitely, I mean, like I don't want to take anything away from Rob Liefeld. He definitely has his own style, um, and in a lot of places, I don't know if it's if he needs more time or a better ink. No, he's got he's got uh, Scott Williams. It's not the inker. I don't know. I feel like maybe he's a guy that should only be doing a book every other month <laughs> and really like working on some of the layouts and panels. Cause every now and then you're like, Oh my God, that's an awesome panel. And then you get, I don't know if you look at like the top left of page 18 of cables face, you're like, there's no detail. <laughs> I just, oh, I need to do the cable real quick. He comes and goes. Yeah. It's like some pages he spends a lot of time on other pages. He doesn't, uh, his legs are, typically very not good um he he likes to draw very muscular legs which kind of works sometimes um other times especially with boom boom it looks emaciated and weird um unless her legs are together whenever her legs are together it looks fine so this it's all culminates with you know they watch uh i guess caliban kills Sabretooth. yeah Tried and executed by those he wronged. Acceptable as far as I'm concerned. It's over. Let's go home, says Cable. Let's go home to who? Says, uh, I thought that was Caliban. No, that's. I think that's Cable. Is it? Well, because Cable earlier is like, wait a sec, team. I want to see this. And I feel yeah. like he's like the teacher guy of like, okay, this is okay. Let's go. There's no way of knowing who this person is. It, <laughs> you're right. It could. The only reason I don't think it's uh, Caliban is because he doesn't have these new, like, little Wolverine skin cowl things. Uh, and he kind of looks like he's got, um, um, I don't, you're right. It could be anybody. So he's got armbands, but yeah. if you go back to Cable, Cable's. Caliban and uh, Cable have armbands. So Cable's it, armbands are bigger than those armbands, which, you know, it doesn't mean they're not them. But, yeah, I, I, I just assumed it was Caliban. I think because he says, it's over, let's go home. And yeah, in the next right. panel, we see Caliban saying, my task is finished for now, but the day will come when I will kill these new mutants uh, and Cable. So they go back and... Uh, Richter's laying in the bed and he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm so hurt. And everyone's like, you just don't want to go to the danger room with us. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still recuperating. And, and everybody leaves and he's like, Oh, maybe they're right. So then he goes to the danger room and he sees cable working out and he's just thinking to himself, he's got the danger room on full scale, solo combat mode, too much for a man, even one that's half bionic. He's outnumbered, outgunned. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He did it. He doesn't even know I'm here. He wasn't showing off or anything. He did it because you know you have to practice to survive this kind of work that we do. So he wasn't asking me to do anything he doesn't do himself. Well, maybe if I had listened, I wouldn't have gotten trashed by Sabretooth. Then again, Sabretooth's kind of tough. Okay, Cable, you win. Maybe the Danger Room stuff, working out of this grubby basement under X Xavier's mansion, maybe it'll be cool, but I don't like it. I don't have to trust you, but maybe, just maybe... I'm beginning to respect you. And all of that is like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you read through all of that. Um, <laughs> because I had the same feeling. It was like, wow, this is so bad. <laughs> the only part that I would have kept was the end. I'm beginning to respect you where, which I just was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad you chose to read all of that. That was fabulous. I am. I, I have a massive grin right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could help you with that. I don't like you. I don't trust you. 
Can you have respect without trust? Maybe. Hmm. Just maybe. <laughs> hmm. I got my eye on you, old man. So I, I find these Rob Liefeld issues fascinating. There's so much to dissect, and it's just they're, they're so interesting. Not because they're necessarily good, or definitely not because they're necessarily bad either. They're just so so interesting. It's like, what would happen if you give a relatively talented teenager a comic book? And it's it's just fascinating. Right. And at least with the last few, you had structure and you had pacing because I think Luis was still driving the car. Yeah. But here, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was like pizza and Clearly there, there are, soda. There are beats. Like she probably laid down the beats. Okay, here's what's sure. going to happen. Caliban and, and Sabretooth are going to fight. Caliban's going to kill Sabretooth. Richter's going to get uh, some sort of his mojo back. And then he's going to find some reason to respect Caladan. And then they gave it over to Fabian Niciesa. And uh, he is just like writing the crap out of this. He's got so much to say. And it's yep. it's it's so bad. But at the same time, it's just fascinating. I don't know. We we skipped over Boom Boom's like teenage isms. Um, and I'm, I'm not motivated to go find him. But like anytime she says something, you're like, I know Boom Boom's supposed to be like a, a mall teeny bopper type girl, but I don't know. It's just This isn't the Boom Boom that I've grown up on. We also skipped over a lot of the humor beats. Like uh, there's there's the scene where uh, Mask is talking, singing to Caliban. And then we're, gonna, we're the Morlocks and we're going to go face him. And Caliban's like, uh, well, I can either take care of Sabretooth or I can take care of somebody else mask and mask goes oh okay you go right ahead it's very it's very humorous <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's it's as bad as it sounds yep uh wolverine number 28 continues the lazarus project part two of four um it's got a cool mike mignola cover um so where we left off with the lazarus project is that wolverine got splashed in the face with a chemical and it turns out that the chemical made him lose his memory. And so this issue, he, for some reason, was driven to this uh, small fishing village, um, which we know from last issue is the fishing village that has the key to the Lazarus Project, the master form, which is some sort of bobble, uh, I don't know, thing. All right. Uh, Karma gets involved by going also to the village so that she can also find out about the master form. Um, Wolverine not having his memory, he learns to get really involved with these people. He, they, he starts to think of them as his family. Um, the military shows up and basically slaughters the entire village, including Wolverine. Uh, Karma gets there a little bit too late. She tries to help. Uh, although she does not once take over a military person during the slaughter. Uh, instead, she takes over some peop- some kids to keep them from uh, getting up and running away so that they uh, kind of fake death so that the military will people will leave them alone. I feel like she could be doing more with her powers, but she doesn't. She makes some choices, bold choices. Uh, at any rate, um, the military men eventually figure out that the kids are faking it due to karma and they kill all the kids 
And uh, that's when Karma finally decides to take over the military men to fight over each other. But then she gets knocked in the head or something like that. And Wolverine wakes up uh, and slaughters everybody. And at the very end, he's like, I remember who I am. I'm Wolverine. And it turns out that one of the characters who we barely got to know is also a bad guy. And uh, this other guy shoots him. I don't know. It's all it's very concise. It's all it is what it is. I didn't read it. I I took a look at it and I was like, I'm out. It's not great. Um, I guess it's uh, okay. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. I had this issue as a kid and I think I felt the same way as I feel now. It just is like, well, this is this is an issue. Things are happening. I really don't know what's going on. Um, But okay. Hmm. Part two of four. Uh, whatever. Uh, Marvel Comics presents number 49 continues the Eric Larson story. Uh, barely anything happens. Uh, they there's a fight. Wolverine and Spider-Man, uh, where we left off are saving a mutant and they uncover a whole bunch of new mutants, uh, including Savage Dragon, which is kind of neat. I miss Savage Dragon. And he's one of the nameless mutants that are a part of this. Uh, uh, Eric Larson giving Rob Liefeld a run for his money uh, on the creating villains department. Uh, what page is he on? Uh, he is on, I guess it would be oh, page three. He's in, the, uh, he's in the shot with all of the mutants on the right-hand side. He's holding the little girl that Wolverine and Spider-Man are attempting to uh, save. So do you think... This is a character that he has been drawing since he was a kid. And he's like, I need a villain. I'm going to throw him in there. Maybe. But then one day later, he's like, man, that lizard guy used to draw. I want him to be the savage dragon. Cop. Cop dragon. Maybe. I mean, this is definitely, I feel like this is definitely the same. It it seems like an... from, From the same, like, like... Like he liked this, whatever, yeah. either he had this as somebody before and it was, it was something that he did growing up and he's like, I'm throwing this into a comic cause I'm doing comics now. And then later on he was like, well, I still really like that character. Or maybe this is the first time he drew it and he was like, ah, I really like this guy. This guy's kind of cool. Uh, does Who knows? Eric Larson, is he just like the backup artist for Spider-Man or does he have his own thing at this point? At this point, he is the full-time Spider-Man artist. Okay. Because this month, or this, in August or whenever this is, Spider-Man number one finally came out. You're right. You're right. I reread it, and uh, it's as bad as I remember it. I Um, tried to read it, and I was like, it's a lot of words here. there There are things that I really like about it, We'll get back to this Marvel comic presents. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, it is it is structured very artistically. Uh, he is McFarlane is clearly playing around with some ideas of of how to restructure and organize panels, and I like that experimentalism. Mm-hmm. Um, his writing is not terrific. Peter Parker is kind of a prick. Uh, he's not very jokey at all, and he doesn't he doesn't know how to really write the main character, which is a problem, but there, there's a lot to like about it too. Like they're clearly letting him do whatever he wants, which maybe is not the best thing to do. I mean, we're the same problem with Rob Liefeld. It's like when you give your, your 
when you're giving your celebrity uh, artists who don't necessarily have the ability to write their own books, you're going to end up with not very good books. Well, I think it's a couple of things. Uh, I think for Todd McFarlane, wasn't he wildly popular as a Spider-Man artist? Yes. So I think on that realm, they're like, oh, let's just give him Spider-Man. Everybody loves him. He can do whatever he wants to. He's gold. Yeah. He was selling like millions and like more comics than anybody had sold in a long time. I feel like Eric, not Eric Larson. I feel like uh, um, Eric, Rob, Rob Liefeld is kind of in the opposite end of the spectrum. I can't imagine sales for New Mutants were doing good. Feel like he had maybe some covers. Uh, he had some covers that were pretty good, I think, and maybe he had a couple of fill-in issues that maybe got some some mail, some buzz generated. But I don't think he's nowhere near like the the. He will one day become a huge draw for Marvel, but I feel like in his run of New Mutants, it's kind of um, who was that artist that ended up taking over X Men. Um, who's who's like? Um, give me your worst book, and ended up kind of turning it on. Neil Adams. Yeah, I think so. Neil Adams took it from Roy Thomas, I think, or was Roy Thomas a writer? I don't remember. Roy Thomas was writing. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Neil Adams, I think, was the one who's just like, give me your worst book, and and he kind of turned the X Men around. It ultimately got canceled, but the returns were coming, and they're like, oh my god, we've got something here. So I feel like Rob Liefeld's going for one of those. Where they're like, yeah, this guy's pretty good. Let's just give him this kind of crappy book. Let him do whatever he wants. Hey, it's sales are picking up a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally think you're right. And the same thing happened with McFarlane where they gave him the Hulk and it was, you know, it was all right. It was kind of popular. It wasn't like hugely successful. And so they gave they 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 must have seen something because they gave him Spider-Man and that just kind of went through the roof. And now they're giving him his own spider or they gave him Amazing Spider-Man and then they gave him his own thing because now he's a superstar. And I think you're right. Rob Liefeld is not a superstar at this point, but he's clearly with the stuff that he does in New Mutants. I mean, they're going to give him his own book soon, so he gets there. Yeah, he definitely gets there. Um, the original reason I asked the question about Eric Larson was: is he creating his own villains, a la Eric or um, Rob Liefeld for Spider-Man? Not for Spider-Man so far. I mean, he's only like McFarlane just left the book and Eric Larson just started the book and uh, Eric Larson is not writing the book. Ah. So I, I don't think he has the uh, the sway over New Mutants that Rob Liefeld has. Gotcha. Okay. So back to Marvel Comics Presents. Um, the uh, Wolverine and Spider-Man handily defeat these mutants and Savage Dragon tells the little girl to attack... Uh, the mutants, Spider-Man, or I guess Spider-Man is not a mutant. Spider-Man and uh, Wolverine, or or she will, they will shoot her old man, and uh, she does, and knocks both of them out, and uh, concludes next issue, which I believe is fifty, right? Marvel Comics presents fifty. That's exciting. There was a Gladiator backup story. There was. I read it. I didn't. It looked like he just flew around punching things and thinking a lot. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. I, I don't even remember. Um, I'm flipping to it to see if I can get any sort of joggery going on here. Okay, so he fights a giant monster, and the giant monster has the same uh, 
anger and power as him, and he's about to lose when he realizes that, so he just stops doing anything, and the giant monster goes away. I'm not really sure what the point of the story was. Um, he does he does think about Deathbird, I think. Because hmm. he's like, he hates being under Deathbird's sway, but he must because she's the empress or something like that. Hmm. So, I don't know. All right. Well, there you go. That's another episode in the bag, folks. Comics. Yeah. If you got any comics you want us to talk about, that's probably a Patreon thing. I don't know. <laughs> Just let us know. All right, Adam, you got anything else? No, sir. I don't have anything else. That's good. So until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. 